Welcome. <clears throat> Please sit comfortably, and you can fiddle and move around. <laughs> Thank you for making the trip here. Um, we say in Zen that you have a successful sitting if you're still on the cushion when the bell rings. And you are a member of the Oan Sangha if you show up. <laughs> so, we practice with those who show up, and uh, thank you for showing up. We have been exploring um, attachment. And because we have sort of wound up in the exploration of attachment, this leads into uh, what are often called the three poisons in Buddhist practice. I hesitate to call them poisons because it just seems too harsh a word. Um, they're problematic. Um, <laughs> and I don't like I don't particularly prefer, I'm going with my preferences. I don't particularly like the word evil, nor am I particularly drawn to the notion of poison. Uh, there are hindrances, perhaps. Attachment, aversion, and ignorance. Shutting down. So we're still exploring the poison <coughs> of attachment and prior to Kelly's talk last week uh, I was exploring the uh, ways in which we're attached to things and then after Kelly's uh, talk last week um, was it was very provocative and um, led to a lot of a lot of interesting pathways and um, so I want to explore attachment a little bit further today. I spoke about being attached to things, to places, and to people. And we get we get really possessive of things for various reasons, places which are special places and people who are really significant in our lives. And we don't want to let them go. And we don't want them to change. And of course, this creates a lot of suffering because inevitably, they're going to go. And if they don't go, you'll go. And they will inevitably change. And so nothing... It's one of the basic principles of our practice, impermanence. So Alan Watts often describes this as trying to hold on to water. Everything is always changing, including you. And if you try to grasp, to cling, to attach, you're going to suffer because you're not going to be able to do it. And you're going to exhaust yourself and you're going to be in a lot of unnecessary pain. 
What I didn't explore, particularly in that talk, was the attachment to ideas, to preconceptions, to beliefs. And when you attach to an idea, it can easily become a belief that you hold on to. In, in, when we recite our Loving Kindness Sutra, one of the last lines is letting go of fixed ideas. Sometimes we don't even realize that we have a fixed idea until it confronts us. For example, I have some frequent flyer miles but not enough to get more miles, but enough to get magazines. <laughs> so I had to choose some magazines, and there was one newspaper on the list, which was the Wall Street Journal. And I thought, hmm, I'm going to try to read the Wall Street Journal. You know, that, it's a very reputable paper, right? I started reading the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> I just could not. I just, I, I just couldn't read it. It was, I don't agree with anything <laughs> that they say. <laughs> and so every time I get the Wall Street Journal, I open it up with the intention of I'm going to, I'm really going to try to listen to to these ideas that are different from mine. Nope. I open it up, <laughs> and then I start reading, and I just close it and put it into the fire. <laughs> so I, I realized in that situation that I definitely have a fixed idea about what's true, what's false, what's real, what's not real, what's right, and what's wrong. And that was um, given my sense of myself as an open-minded, you know, balanced person who is available to all views. That was a shock to discover that, nope, I can't, I really can't do this. I can't, I can't read that. And I think you can probably note in your own experience when you come upon something that you just can't you can't accept not only can't accept but you just can't even listen to you just shut down and this brought me to the what Kelly spoke about last week which was branding so I discovered that I've branded myself. And I suspect that each one of you has branded yourself. But the difference was <clears throat> there is, I don't know whether you're, any of you are old enough, maybe you, Judy, are old enough to remember when, the, and maybe they still have them, these tattoos that you can kind of wash onto your hand and then you can wash them off. You know, they're sort of ornamental things. So you, 
they come in a piece of paper, you, you place them on and then you, yeah, you yeah. know what I'm talking yeah. about. Well, I mean, those are things that you can wash off. But I was thinking of branding as you brand an animal, right? <laughs> you know, you have a hot iron and you brand something into the skin of that animal. And it's pretty permanent, you know. How much do we do that with ourselves? That somehow we brand ourselves in a certain way. And, and we attach to that. We, we can't get rid of that. Like, I'm a liberal de- Democrat. It's branded into me. <laughs> and... I, you know, that's it. I walk around. I, I go through the universe. In you know, I'm a progressive, Democrat, liberal, and I don't listen to anything else. I will. I tried Fox News. <laughs> that's even worse than the Wall Street Journal. Uh, <laughs> but I tried. You know, I, I have the intention of not holding to fixed ideas. So what happens when you attach and don't even know it to an idea that becomes a belief and then becomes a brand and everything that you do kind of gathers around that brand to support it like all those other aspects of your life that support what you think of yourself as. And so they get stronger and stronger. This, and you could say they sometimes become fanatic. You can become a fanatic. And that is the extreme of having a fixed idea. And so what happens when you, when you have a position of fanaticism is not only that you attach to something, but everything else becomes an aversion. So that's why attachment and aversion go together. They're they're two poisons, quote-unquote, that go together. Right? So you don't want to hear you are averse to everything else that doesn't speak to your attachment. You don't want to hear it. You want to argue against it. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. That's what I have on the uh, eraser board downstairs. You're wrong. <laughs> the corollary to that is so am I. <laughs> you know, so, so are we all. Um, but when someone says you're wrong, I mean, how, how did you react to that? It's like, no, you're wrong. What do you mean I'm wrong? We have a tremendous aversion, aversion to everything that doesn't support our brand, who who we are, and all of the things that go along with that. This is right, this is right, this is right, this is right, and everything else is wrong. So this duality of right and wrong, explore this in your own life. It's, it's a lot more pervasive than you may think it is. This sense, I'm right, 
and you're wrong. And we live in a culture, in a society, which certainly supports that. It's an adversarial society. Right and wrong. Good and bad. Good and evil. Um, You know, this great basketball player, Kobe Bryant, I'm sure you all, I mean, he was tragic death. And, I mean, I'm not a big basketball fan, but... um, but I, 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 I had sympathy for that. But he was quoted as saying, I cannot process failure. It's like death. I read that in the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> 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 um, and much as I'm sure everyone idolizes Kobe Bryant, I thought that was a really uh, disturbing thing for anyone to say. I cannot process failure. It's like death. I've got to win at all costs. And of course, being at Penn State, we all know what that means. (laughs) We're number one. We, we cannot countenance failure. I, I did a, um, many years ago, a documentary with my husband at the time, and we did, it was called Tailgating Penn State Style. <laughs> <laughs> and we visited the tailgate, we did a documentary on tailgating. Oh, man, was that an eye-opener. Uh, uh, it is just unbelievable uh, the fanaticism uh, with which people at, at Penn State think about the university. It's just, if, if they had, it was in 1984, and they actually had a winning season, but they lost to Pitt, and that was the worst. And they were, they, at the time, I don't know whether they're still... Um, uh, Joe, Joe Paterno um, cardboard stand-up things, but people were urinating on Joe, just because they lost to Pitt, they were setting fire to Joe Paterno's statue um, and not statue, but the cardboard uh, thing and they were urinating over all of that and it, it was like, we just cannot we cannot we can't. We can't accept failure. We, even though it was a winning season, it was still they lost to Pitt. So notice, and certainly you can see how we say we're a divided country. Everything is partisan. It's me against you, me against you, and then there's an internal war too. I can't tell you how many times I've heard and also said to myself, well, part of me wants to do this and part of me wants to do that. Does sound familiar? It's like we're at war. We're at war with ourselves. And thus we become somehow we, you know, I'm trying to find sort of metaphorical ways of, of putting this. 
have you seen those, I'm sure you have, those maps of the globe, and it says, you are here. You're here, you're this tiny little dot on, on this big planet. That's the sort of physical space. But our mental, emotional space and our fanatical, internal space is that the whole is you and that little dot is the world. So we go around with this internal universe that spreads over everything and anything opposite to that is that little dot. We sort of, in a way, our mental universe colonizes everything else. We just, our beliefs, our preconceptions, our fixed ideas just spread over everything. And anything opposed to that gets relegated to this tiny little dot. And so we have this right and wrong right and wrong, success and failure, all these dualities that in our practice we seek to transform, to move beyond, beyond right and wrong. What was it, Rumi, who said, there is a field beyond right and wrong. Meet me there. There is a field beyond right and wrong. Meet me there. So we can experience the world just as it is. Is there a right and wrong? Does a, a, a branch falls from a tree? Is that right or wrong? Everything is just as it is, but thinking makes right or wrong. That's why what we read the Truth of the Heart poem which is a classic poem in Buddhist practice, talks about it's a disease of the mind. It makes us suffer. These dualities of right and wrong. So how do we approach this? Um, I'll give you another experience that I had. My, I think my greatest training place is Wegmans. <clears throat> I, that's where I pretty much find myself practicing. Um, and last week, I, uh, it was very crowded in Wegmans, and I decided to go through the self-checkout. <clears throat> and I had a tiny piece of Thai ginger that I was going to buy and it didn't have any label on it or uh, price on it at all and I was putting everything into my bags scanning, putting into the bag scanning, putting into the bag and I picked up this tiny little piece of Thai ginger didn't know what to do with it So there was this moment of mindlessness. I call it a blind spot that kind of came over me. I'm trying to rationalize it, but there's no rational explanation. 
So I took the little piece of ginger and threw it in my bag. This is my place for confession. <laughs> After throwing it in my bag, <laughs> there was an announcement, not over, the, not over the loudspeakers in Wegmans, but at the checkout, which said, please scan your item before depositing it in your bag. <laughs> How did they know? <laughs> I mean, I, to this day, I, I don't... Nobody was there checking anything. How did they know that I did that? Um, but somehow they did. And I took the ginger out of my bag and brought it to one of the service people. And, but that was, that was a moment of practice for me. It's always, you know, when we say we sort of don't observe the precepts, that's when they become most alive. But the announcement didn't say, you are a bad person. You have done something immoral. No, it said, please remember to scan your item before you put it in the bag. Wow. <laughs> that, a Zen, you know, a Zen master would probably say that and not say... Game on you. Now, of course, I have this fixed idea about myself. Like, I'm very honest. I would never do anything like that. And there it was. My fixed idea was, <laughs> you might say, shot to hell. But it wasn't about right or wrong. It was, this is the way things go. This is the way the world works. This is our, these are our rules. You want to shop in Wegmans? Gotta, you got to observe the rules. It had nothing to do... I mean, if, if as we say, if I, if I said to you, you're wrong, your, your response would probably be to tense up and get defensive or sort of put your tail between your legs and sort of become paralyzed uh, or you'd become aggressive. What is it, that fight or flight mechanism that when we're challenged or criticized or someone tells us we failed, we react. You failed, you're wrong, I'm right. But our practice is to recognize that that's a duality that is not helpful and makes us suffer and makes other people suffer. So instead, someone who made up these announcements <laughs> in Wegmans was a good Zen practitioner saying, please do this if you want to shop here. And okay, 
yeah, I'll, I'll obey the rules. And I didn't go home feeling I'm a terrible person, you know, what's wrong with me? Uh, I'm a Zen priest. I should, you know, I should be completely honest all the time, not steal, not make any up, make up any excuses. But no, I really, frankly, just felt like I'm human. I could come up with all kinds of excuses for why I did this. And in the past, I've, you know, Wegmans makes enough money. They don't, this is a tiny piece of ginger. Nobody's going to miss it. (laughs) Whatever. That has nothing to do with it. Because that's a response to, you are a bad person and I can't accept that. So I'm going to find reasons. But if instead of being told I'm a bad person, I'm told, you know, you've got to obey the rules. This is it. Obey the rules. So we can do that for ourselves. Instead of laying a big guilt trip on ourselves about our, our missteps, our unskillful actions, we can just remind ourselves, I'm human. I'll remember. I'll remember that and I'll remember what the rules are uh, and how to how to live more skillfully in the world. So next time you go to Wegmans or Giant or Weiss or wherever you shop, yeah, think about that. <laughs>